Good morning, afternoon, or evening. I am back, Evan George with Bostopia News. And we are here to, of course, talk about Mike Connolly's endorsement of Mara Healy. Now, I knew this was coming yesterday, just because I'm that good. And I found myself having the same conversation, and today, the same conversations of people who have reached out to me about why is this happening? Because this is not the first time that Mike Connolly has endorsed against the more progressive or the left member of a particular race. And I think there is a lot of insight into looking at where Mike came from politically, ideologically, to where he is now, both to understand how that transition takes place, what is the rationale behind it, and again, justification is not rationality, and it also gives us a lot of insight into how does, I'll use the phrase, left elected officials actually view the greater left politically, whether that's at the local, state, or federal level. And so before we go into it, some disclaimers. First, I have spoken to Mike dozens, if not more times. He has never had a challenger against him in the times that I've been politically active. If he did, I probably would have canvassed for him. I have to imagine I've probably at least donated to his campaigns a few times. And so take my thoughts and criticism for whatever it's worth. And second, I have not spoken to Mike about this. So this podcast is not him asking me to say something. This podcast is not me filtering his words through my medium. I reached out to him a few weeks ago about a separate issue that I was curious why I wasn't seeing at the state house or being discussed in the media. But besides that, I haven't spoken to him about the governor's race at all. And while when I woke up this morning, I had no intention of doing this, I thought that if this podcast serves any function or purpose, it is just to give a more thoughtful, more elaborate analysis of local politics from a left perspective that cannot be captured in a 60-second TikTok or a 280-character tweet with a snarky gif at the end. And so with those disclaimers out of the way, let's do it. Let's quickly, and I mean quickly, go into Mike's background. Mike is 42 years old, or at least he will be soon, was born in Dorchester, and at 6 feet 8 inches, played college for Duke University, went on to get his law degree at Boston College. And he really didn't come on the political scene until September of 2011, when the Occupy Wall Street movement took off in New York City, and then, according to this Wikipedia article, September 30th here in Boston. And it was during this really reawakening, we'll call it organic reawakening, of the left, of people's response to the Great Recession, of the inequalities, and really the lack of any political con connection between our elected leaders and the people themselves that birthed really every consecutive movement we've seen since, that Mike decided to run for office. And from there, we already see maybe a little bit of a split. Because it's hard for people now to really understand that from the 90s, most definitely the first decade of the 21st century, there was no left. That vernacular 
didn't exist. The most radical thing you could be in 2002 was someone who called themselves a liberal. And yes, there were always people on the margins who kept those embers alive, but that was not at all part of a national discourse or understanding. And so when Occupy happened, you know, really built upon the tenets of direct democracy, before again, anyone would even know what that phrase meant if I said direct democracy back in 2011. You could really, with that, go one of two ways. And again, within that sphere, you could say, we can never achieve anything working within the political bureaucracy that exists and can only do things on the outside of it. Or two, we need to get better people inside of that political bureaucracy to then work in tandem with the people on the outside. And if you listen to this podcast, you probably fall somewhere in that second category. I have to just guess. And that was the direction Mike took. He went by the nickname No Money Mike. He ran as an independent, not wanting to be soiled by the the corrupt Democratic Party. And again, these are all things you'll see in modern campaigns. You'll see discussions and debates today on the left about this. And in 2012, for the 26th Middlesex District, he challenged Timothy Toomey Jr. and got completely crushed. Now, this was a general election, and I'm taking this from Ballotpedia. Normally, I would go through the Boston elections. So the measurements I'm giving you now, that's what's reported on this. But in 2012, because again, there wasn't a primary because Mike ran as an independent. So there was a Republican challenger also in that race. That Republican challenger received 1,021 votes, which equals 6.4%. Mike Connolly got 25.2% with 4,010 votes. And Tim Toomey dominated with 68.4% at 10,898 votes. So certainly shows somewhat the limitations of a first-time challenger who's not focused on raising money, who's going to jump in as an independent. But from there, Mike doesn't, we'll say, abandon politics. He becomes an organizer with Net Zero Cambridge. He then becomes an aide to Cambridge City Councilor Dennis Carlone. And as an aside, if you have any intentions of ever being elected into office, my advice would be to get on someone's staff. It seems like that is the surest, most guaranteed way of building a network, building political connections, getting a donors list, getting an emails list, responding to constituent services. And then you either just inherit that seat when that person moves on, or you run for a different seat in that area. Again, just an aside, but it seems like that is the easiest pathway to getting elected. And sure enough, in 2016, I think he used to make the joke, he went from no money Mike to some money Mike. He decided to run as a Democrat. And in the Democratic primary, again, 2016, he took out Tim Toomey with a margin of 400 votes, with Mike winning 53.64%, 2,938 votes, to Tim Toomey's 46.36%, 2,539 votes. 401. And from there, from that primary in 2016, it doesn't look like there was a general, no uh, Republican or independent challenger. Mike has run unopposed in every election since. 
and we'll talk about the viability of a primary challenger to Mike a little bit later. And now from here, I'm not going to go into Mike as a representative. If you're listening to this, you already know he's one of the most left members, if not the most left member of the Massachusetts State House. yada, 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 you know this. But now, starting in 2020, and most recently with his current endorsement, we see Mike endorsing against someone to the left of the establishment, someone to the left of a more centrist candidate. And the big question, along with a lot of anger, a lot of confusion, is how does this make sense? And what can we maybe see as a shift in his political ideology, or maybe more appropriately phrased, his theory of change and his theory of power? And his first big endorsement that got a lot of people angry and upset was when he decided to endorse Kevin Honan against Jordan Meehan in the 2000 election for the 17th Suffolk District. And now there is no dispute that on paper, on policy, Jordan is to the left of Kevin. Kevin Honan has been in power for literally decades and generally viewed as completely out of touch with young people, with renters, with new families. So I'm going to read for you some quotes on Mike Connolly's endorsement announcement that really stand out that I think get to some of the larger themes I want to talk about. Kevin is a champion for his district, a tireless public servant, and even though he occupies a position of leadership as co-chair of the Joint Committee on Housing, he is someone who has repeatedly and unfailingly opened his door to me and offered me and other younger legislators a seat at the table as housing policy is being considered on Beacon Hill. Big one I'm going to go back to. Mike then goes on to talk about Massachusetts passing the eviction moratorium at the very start of COVID, though with the knowledge of hindsight, that was extended once until October of 2021. And then, oh, wouldn't you know it, they decided not to vote on extending it again. But Mike ends his piece with this after a little thank you, Jordan, for trying. You got a bright future, kid. Sentence it to. In sum, what sets Kevin apart is his willingness to respond to the urgency of these times and his eagerness to partner with younger legislators and activists, making space for all of us to lead and work together. The making space for all of us to lead, partnering with young legislators, unfailingly opened his door to me, having a seat at the table. All of those phrases, to me, point to an ideological shift and a theory of change shift from what would have been some of the tenets of the Occupy movement, of direct democracy, of inside-outside strategy, of challenging centralized power, to I need to be in the room. I need to have good relationships with the people in power in order for good things to happen. And that is, again, a drastic political shift in how you view a theory of change. It goes from we need the many to we just need me in the room. And I'm now going to read for you his statement today. I'm Mara Healy. We're going to listen for some of those same threads. Before I do, there was another election in that 2020 race, the 34th Middlesex District between Christine Barber, the incumbent, 
and Anna Callahan, the DSA-endorsed candidate, where Mike endorsed against DSA, went with Christine. In fairness to Christine, she is also viewed as one of the furthest left members. She received endorsements from Boston Teachers Union, SEIU, and while Anna was certainly to the left of Christine, especially on issues around transparency within the state house, challenging the secret and concentrated power of then the House leader, Robert DeLeo. Again, Christine was not willing to challenge that centralized power structure. Anna was. Mike went with Christine, again, voting against the endorsed candidate from the political organization that still to this day on his Twitter bio, he says he's a part of. Not a good look. I have had some public fights over Boston DSA's endorsement, or more accurately, rescinding of an endorsement, so I'm not necessarily one to judge on this. And I should say that being a member of DSA does not mean that you are an active member within your chapter. That is a very different distinction. But still, that certainly angered a lot of people within DSA. And again, that was that same election cycle with Jordan, so people were already pissed about his prior endorsement. But let's jump to today. Let's jump to 2022. Let's listen to Mike's words about Mara Healy. And to be accurate, this is a letter that is going to the Cambridge and Somerville delegates for the mass convention. I am writing to share with you why I am supporting Mara Healy for governor. This election is, to me, as a progressive Democrat, incredibly important. I have served in the legislature for five years, and the governor has been a Republican the entire time. Reading a little bit further. When I started thinking about what was most important to me for this race, there are two principles I consider in deciding whom to support. The candidate must be a proven leader on progressive issues with experience delivering on those principles, and the candidate must have a proven ability to win tough general elections, preferably on the statewide level. Keep that one in the back of your head. Reading a bit further, Mara Healy has also proven her electoral viability. He goes on to talk about her run for attorney general. He does another sentence or two saying, Sonia Chang Diaz, great job. Thanks for being good. And concludes with, no one is better suited than Mara Healy to win this critical election and to make good on the promise of delivering for the residents of Massachusetts. Now, sprinkled throughout that, he talks about Mara Healy's progressive bona fides. And I've said before, and I think this is the most accurate definition, what it means to be a progressive simply means that is a Democrat that you like. And really, on a side-by-side comparison, issue by issue, Sonia is to the left of Mara, or they agree. And on those issues where they do agree, Mara certainly sounds a lot more passive, and how much energy will she fight for those issues? But again, in an honest reading, no one can say Mara is to the left of Sonia. So what did Mike reiterate multiple times, electability. He does not see Sonia as a legitimate candidate to win the Democratic nomination, period. And guess what? He might be right. Just like how his assessment between Kevin and Jordan, one, certainly influenced by wanting to be in the room, but two, maybe he felt Jordan doesn't have a chance, so why would I waste political capital? Why would I make things tough for myself? That primary was decided by about 650 votes, but Kevin winning 54%, Jordan 46. The other election between Anna Callahan 
and Christine Barber. Christine won 58% of the vote. Anna took 41.9%. A 1,600-vote difference between them. Same thing. Why would I stick my neck out? Why not just go with Christine? Very possible. And he said it enough times in his statement that I think it's fair to attribute it to him that he simply is saying, Sonia can't win. Mara can. It's better for me to have a close relationship to be on the good side, the buddy-buddy with entrenched power, than it is to stick my neck out. And before we get into the fun stuff and why I think this is wrong, both politically, ideologically, let me just quickly dismiss the electability argument. There is no Democrat, Sonia, Mara, or me, who is going to lose this election to the Republican Party. Period. We'll get into why predictions are dumb and no one knows the future, but I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. The Republican Party in Massachusetts that allowed Charlie Baker to get 42% of the vote in the 2010 gubernatorial election, build up his name recognition. He already came with pockets full of cash. Build that up too. And then in 2014, again, it was still in the Obama era, come out, win in 2014, completely dominate in 2018, getting almost 65% of the vote. That Republican Party is gone. Everything in the Trump era has changed everyone's perception, especially this iteration and the direction they are going in. Any Democrat can beat a Republican candidate by saying three words. Trump, abortion, and guns. And yes, where people put gun safety is going to drastically decrease throughout the summer going into the general. I'm sorry. Trump, Trump, Trump. You paint them as being radical fanatics to the big Cheeto, and you're not losing the race. So I do not buy the electability argument, which then only leaves us with the ideological argument which is, from Mike's perspective, and again, I have not talked to him about this, that the left is so weak, so inept, so non-existent here in Massachusetts, they cannot win, that all we can do is protect the people who are good enough and help them build relationships with power to make slow, incremental change. And probably the core reason that I am so against that, besides prioritizing mass politics versus individual politics, is that you, Mike, myself, everyone doesn't know what's going to happen next. And so the idea that anyone is playing three-dimensional chess of, oh, well, all right, I'm going to endorse this person, and then maybe they'll let me get that committee assignment, and then in 2024, this will happen, and then in 2028, this will happen— I'm sorry, dumb BS, you don't know. And all endorsing the more conservative person does is send political mixed messaging, screams backroom politics, which keeps anyone who is apolitical to entering the political and waters down your issues. And nothing encapsulates that more about the issue of rent control, where 10 days ago, Mara Healy said that she wouldn't sign a statewide rent control bill. And then immediately her team had to walk that back and clarify. And I should just stipulate 
no one is saying we should have statewide rent control. I mean, I am. No elected official is saying that. That's not part of the bill that people are advocating for. It is to give local control and choice. But for Mike, whose number one issue that he's known for is rent control or housing policy, to 10 days later after the conservative candidate says, I'm not going to sign the bill, endorse them, either means you were told something in a back room that we're not hearing publicly, which, my God, is that a turnoff from any sort of politics? Or two, it means you actually don't care about that issue, or that issue is secondary to you than the access that an endorsement gives you. And again, I'm not saying that's why he did this or that he is not sincere. I do view Mike to be sincere. I view him as acting in good faith. But that is what the political messaging sounds like when you either endorse a candidate that doesn't share all of your policies and beliefs, or if you endorse against the, the candidate that does. It just confuses people. It waters things down. It makes people question you. It makes it seem like the policy angle and what we actually do is second to who do we elect. And if there was ever going to be a theory of change within the Occupy movement, that again, the entire modern iteration of the left is inspired by or can trace its roots from, it is that it is not about the individual candidates, it is about the policy. How do we get those things changed? Is it through a complete separation from the electoral sphere, which again, all these types of issues leads people towards, or two, working on an inside-outside strategy and putting pressure on centralized power? Neither one of those two directions does this endorsement make sense. This endorsement and the others before it can only make sense with the lens of a shift of political ideology that, again, goes away from democracy and mass politics to insider in the room. I'm smart. I know how to game this out to get what people want. And isn't it convenient that that choice is also the one that is the most advantageous and just the politically easier choice to make? This might seem like an aside, but does anyone remember back in 2018 when James Gunn was fired from directing the Guardians of the Galaxy series and because of like some old tweets of his were dug up as part of like a right-wing bot campaign to, I don't know, get wokeism out of Disney? I don't know. And then you had uh, Dave Batista who said like, I will never then be part of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like I owe my fame, me having this position because James believed in me, yada, yada, yada. It's wrong for them to do this. I'm, I'm done with the franchise. He's not a part of it. And then Chris Pratt, when, when asked like, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to pray on it. And then a few days later, he came back and he's like, yeah, I talked to God and uh, God wants me to do the thing that keeps me being famous and makes me the most money. You, you know, just coincidentally. And it just, it reminds me of this, of like, it's a lot easier for Mike or for any left elected official to just support entrenched power because it's just the least resistance. It just makes it easier. It makes it more pleasant walking down the halls. You don't have the political establishment breathing down your neck, challenging you, maybe finding somebody to run against you. You just go with the flow because that's what politicians do. Ultimately, they're going to choose the path of least resistance. And one of the reasons why I publicly bash Michelle Wu so much and I wish others did is because if the only pressure Michelle feels is to her right, well, that is the direction she's going to go in. 
you have to have some level of pressure on the other side so that they don't go with the least resistance, so that you actually cause a lot of friction and anxiety and tension and fear if they don't go your way. And that's why I think one of like the big lessons, and I think this was the big lesson that I took away from his other two bad endorsements and this one, is Mike is sitting there and saying, the left can't do anything. They're not going to primary me. Sonia's not going to win. We're not going to get the numbers to do anything on this scale. It's too small. It's too weak. So guess what? I'm going to work within the system and do what I can. You don't like it, you're a child. And I already addressed, again, why I think that just politically damages messages, why it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, why no one's smart enough to know the domino effects of all these things. To me, it's a collective negative. But I'm sorry, it is just easier for you to do this than it is for you to stick your neck out. And I know a lot of people are calling for a primary challenge to Mike. And again, I read a lot of these endorsements as Mike saying, you're not going to challenge, you're not going to primary me, you're not going to win. And guess what? I think he's right. I think he's 100% accurate with that. That, you know, once the biggest hurdle that new challengers, whatever, people on the left have is getting over the boogeyman factor of, oh, once they're in power, they're going to take away your property. It's going to be a hippie commune. Once you get in the seat and just, I think, I I don't have data on this, but probably left elected officials are a lot more responsive to like constituent services. And once people see, oh, hey, you're not burning down the neighborhood and like you got back to me about that issue you just instantly build trust. And so you're not going to run against Mike to the left, trying to, again, expand the electorate, get new young people to care by saying, oh, well, two years ago, um, Mike didn't endorse Sonia Chang Diaz the week of the Democratic convention. Like, people are just going to stare at you having no idea what the F you're talking about. And the people that are going to vote in 2024 and this year are the same people who voted in 2020 and 2018, 2016. And so if you are going to expand the electorate, which even that I have my suspicions if we're capable of doing, it's not going to be over someone's political endorsement of a candidate in X or so cycle. That doesn't move the needle at all. The amount of people that will even be aware of this endorsement is a fraction, a fraction of a fraction of who that electorate will end up being, whatever 20%, 30% of the electorate bothers to show up for the primary. So there it is. No way I was going to fit that into a tweet. That isn't going to make a 60-second TikTok, but I know it's on a lot of people's minds right now. I hope you found this helpful. I hope this clarifies my view on this issue and similar dynamics like it. And again, I think this goes well beyond Mike. I think you probably see this in almost every left politician, once they're in power, they start to, you know, make these, we'll call them compromises, respond to the pressures in one way or another, rationalize things in a certain perspective. And this is, you know, I think like, it's almost natural, it's inevitable what will happen once you have these positions, and why it's so important for the left to, at the minimum, maintain pressure to all of our faves, but start doing local, local, local organizing, talking to your neighbors about issues that affect your street and the street next to you. 
and don't think that quote tweeting or subtweeting someone is going to do anything. I mean, it'll irritate them. I'm sure Mike's not having a good day scrolling Twitter, but ultimately, this too will pass and a small handful of us will remember, and that'll be that. So, yeah, that's all I have to say on the issue. Um, As always, thank you for your love and support. If you haven't yet, five stars, write a quick review. If you want to boost this on Twitter, I appreciate it. I'm kind of busy this evening or and tomorrow, but maybe I'll try to make a post about it too. Um, my Venmo is in my link tree. If you'd like to financially contribute, send me a couple bucks for a coffee or a beer. I'll appreciate it. But again, I really only do these maybe three times a month now, so I completely understand if uh, people want to uh, use their funds elsewhere. That's okay. But as always, take care and have a great rest of your day.